Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hi, this is Renee Thornton with the Wild Sheep Foundation's Women Hunt Program, and you're listening to Impact Outdoors Podcast. For me, it was critically important that these women were able to not just learn how to hunt, um, but also that they could come out and be able to articulate why hunting for, is such an important part of wildlife conservation. I think that it's critical for all hunters to be able to have a basic understanding. People struggle to understand. It, you know, They cannot correlate hunting with wildlife conservation. For a lot of people, there's a dichotomy there, right? So the more hunters who can articulate the model or aspects of the model and can speak somewhat uh, intelligently about the function that hunting plays in relation to wildlife conservation, the better. So we tailored it to incorporate that. And um, in any case, uh, we launched with the new hunter course. So that's one aspect of the Women Hunt program. Last year in 2021, the Wyoming chapter of Wild Sheep Foundation was having their banquet and they had some seminars on the Saturday and they invited me to come and talk on Women Hunt Program. There were about 80 guys in the room and about six women and they everybody was super engaged. And after the seminar wrapped, you know, some people came up to talk to me and a gentleman came up and he, there was one right after the seminar and there were two more that evening and then another one the next morning. So four different guys came up to me and um, said, um, you know, I think what you guys are doing is great. And when you kind of get your feet under you and get a little bit of momentum going, would you consider um, broadening your program to help teach men how to teach women? And like this first man who came to me, you know, he had tears in his eyes. He was emotional about it. He said, I really screwed things up with my wife and my daughter because I, I, the hunt, I had to, I would, I was intractable in how I wanted to teach them. I wanted them to you know, everything had to be my way. And he said, I did not understand really the importance of, of finding a way to communicate with them that worked for them. And women do learn differently than men. We know this, right? And so I found it remarkable that these men approached me and said, when you're ready, can your program help teach us how to teach women better? 
it's a big barrier for women though sometimes and how we're being taught things right so um, I love that idea we will get there so all right welcome back everyone I'm super excited to be here with you today this is our first episode from this year's hunt fish podcast summit and kicking things off on this episode is Renee Thornton who started up the women hunt program which is part of the wild sheep foundation and Renee is just an awesome individual I'm so glad we got to meet and talk about kind of her entrance into the hunting world and just the the need for for involving women and getting them the opportunities and um, you know to get involved in the sport you know Um, there's a lot of a lot of barriers for everybody getting into something new, and she's done a great job um, providing these opportunities to women all across the United States, and just super excited to have her on the show. So excited to be at the Warren Ranch for all these upcoming interviews. We've probably got eight to ten podcasts coming up from the summit, and uh, let's go ahead and jump right in for this week's episode with Renee Thornton. First, I want to send a huge shout out to our amazing sponsors for this year's Huntfish Podcast Summit. And uh, starting out with Waypoint TV and then Captain Experiences, Ron Hoover RV and Marine down in Galveston. And then we've got our friends up at the Vanessa House Beer Company in Oklahoma City, along with Metro Emergency Upfitters and Spot Stalker Guide Service. And, uh, you know, this year's been fantastic having it at the warren ranch up in santa Ana, texas and uh, we had a great time up there with those guys and and a big shout out to travis clevenger with tnt outfitters there um putting everybody on some really good awesome thermal hog hunting at night and uh what an amazing opportunity that was so just a big thank you to everyone who supported the event this year really excited and really looking forward to next year all right let's get to the podcast Well, I am so happy to be here today. This is the first show for me to record here at the Huntfish Podcast Summit, and I'm joined by Renee Thornton. Welcome. Thank you so much. How are you today? I am fantastic. So happy to be here. Well, I am so grateful um, for you guys to have come down. Y'all came from a long ways away. Yeah, made the trek uh, in from Bozeman, Montana. Yeah. And uh, what time did y'all have to leave yesterday to fly into Texas? (laughs) Our day started at 4 o'clock in the morning. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's a... my day didn't start quite that early, but uh, there were several people that came in. You know, we had, we've had we got a great group of people here from all over the place, and uh, um, just thanks for coming, and I uh, hope you guys are enjoying yourselves here. You at bet. The Warren, the Warren Ranch. Ranch is beautiful. It is pretty nice. Um, we've been out, and uh, I think there was some su- success on some pig hunting last night, and uh, we've been catching a few nice bass. And uh, just uh, everybody's having a great time. Um, still got a few more people coming in to join us today. So looking forward to the, seeing them as well. But um, I'm so glad you're here because you and uh, your husband, Gray, are from the Wild Sheep Foundation. And I will say right off the bat that you guys are the true epitome of a conservation power couple. Oh. <laughs> like you guys are doing such amazing work. And the program that you started, which is why I wanted to talk to you today, um, the Women Hunt uh, Initiative or program within WSF. So 
Um, let's kind of talk about that and how that got started. And sure. we'll kind of get some backstory on you, how you got into hunting as well later. Yeah. So. Okay. So um, my backstory on how I got into hunting actually formed is what okay. formed the yeah. program. But, um, uh, you know, one thing I just wanted to mention is the Wild Sheep Foundation. Um, my husband, Gray, is the president and CEO. And uh, the Wild Sheep Foundation, um, you know, he'll, I'm sure, talk to you about this later. But, it, you know, its whole purpose is to put and keep wild sheep on the mountain. And wild sheep, to me, of North America, are the most iconic species. I grew up in Alberta and Canada where we have the Rocky okay. Mountain bighorn. And so um, I joined the Wild Sheep Foundation as a new hunter, not because I was going to jump into sheep hunting right off the bat, okay. but just because I really was keen on the conservation of, of wild sheep. And so I just wanted to mention that my capacity with the Wild Sheep Foundation, I'm a volunteer mm -hmm. and my purpose is to run the Women Hunt Program. And awesome. um, yeah, and so my journey into hunting was before I met my husband when I was living in Alberta and um, I didn't grow, grow up in a hunting family and um, I decided in my mid-40s as a as a you know middle-aged woman that I wanted to learn how to hunt and, um, and I didn't have anybody to rely on to teach me I didn't have anybody right. to support me and so I pathfinded my way and that um, journey is particularly the first 12 to 18 months while I had many many positives um, and um, um, you know, I met amazing people and it was a great experience. It had some challenges and I would suggest that some of those challenges uh, are unique among uh, women. Okay. Um, and so um, fast forward a couple of years into my journey, I met the past chairman of the Wild Sheep Foundation, a man named Brett Jefferson at a uh, Wild Sheep Foundation open house in Bozeman. I had come down to five fish from Alberta into Montana uh -huh. and, I, and I went there. And he heard my story, which we, we can talk more about later if you yep. like, and, um, and uh, about some of my uh, opportunities and um, struggles in that first year. And um, he went to... Um, uh, Gray as the CEO and said, um, you know, have you met this woman, Renee from Calgary, Alberta yet? And he said, no, not, not yet. And he said, well, you need to hear her story because I think that the Wild Sheep Foundation can do something to help more women get into hunting and wildlife conservation. Awesome. And so that was the impetus back in uh, 2018 for the creation okay. of the Women Hunt Program. And its whole purpose is to try to ease that pathway for women who have an interest in getting into hunting, wildlife conservation, or maybe are already involved and want to become more, mm -hmm. more engaged. Um, or maybe they tried it and had not a great experience and they got gun shy and they want to come back and try again. And um, we just want to just want to make that easier. Yeah. And it's, um, you know, a lot of people may not know this and, and you can touch on this with more details, but the number of women getting into the sports of hunting and fishing is going up, you know, f fairly well right now. And there's more people... Um, getting into the sport maybe because of things like COVID or, I mean, what is your take on, on that? Yeah, I think it's a really fascinating question. And, and um, you know, I can't speak for the angling industry, but mm -hmm. hunting for sure, women is the f are the fastest growing demographic. And, uh, you know, for me, my entry was before COVID. It had nothing to do with mm -hmm. that. But for sure, COVID has been a driver, as we've seen. Anybody who has been active in the outdoors for any length of time before COVID has seen the pressure um, on, right. on hunting grounds or on the, on, on the, on the streams and lakes where we fish. But 
I think that uh, part of the reason why we've seen an uptick in growth in hunting uh, with uh, women, um, you know, there's uh, for sure a drive for people have been, um, particularly in the last decade, I think, far more interested in figuring out where their food comes from. Mm -hmm. That okay. was my driver. And um, 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 women I speak to, um, you know, um, I think that's a lot, of, for a lot of women, that's where they start. Mm -hmm. um, particularly those who maybe don't come from a hunting background, it's that question in your mind when you go to the grocery store and you're shopping and you're not really sure where that package of beef came from or yeah. whatever you're buying. And, um, and I think that's a big driver. Also, I think that women, you know, I mean, just naturally over the course of the last several decades, we've just become um, more empowered, more confident. Um, and so we're starting to explore different things that we want to do with our lives that maybe historically have been um, more male dominated. Right. Um, so I think we're just seeing a progression and confidence in women uh, a search for uh, naturally sourced food, um, just an interest in doing something different, a little more daring, mm -hmm. and it's just kind of been a perfect storm. Yeah, and I think um, the food aspect is is a, a good a good talking point about you know most people I guess don't really ever even think about where their food comes from. Right. You know, you go to the store, you buy your meat, you go home, you cook it, eat it don't really pay any attention and um i don't know i don't know what the light bulb is it switches to make people kind of think about that if it's stuff they see on the media perhaps or just you know talking to somebody else that might be in the outdoors but um lately the aspect of like cooking wild game and and just all the i mean you know as well as i do social media is such a driver in everything we do in our lives yeah. now and that the the cooking aspect has just exploded yeah. lately on on preparing wild game and, and different things and and just kind of the progression on how you get to that point well i need to go and harvest an animal you know i need to how do you start like how do you start in hunting so why don't you touch on some of the barriers that you can speak of for women getting into the sport sure yeah so um you know for myself um in my experience uh i um I had grown up in a farming community. Mm -hmm. My parents grew up on farms, but they, when they got married, they didn't farm. But I had aunts and uncles who farmed. And um, oddly enough, even though I spent a lot of time on farms growing up as a kid, nobody ever talked about hunting. Yeah. If, if my uncles and my cousins hunted, I never heard about it. They didn't have trophies hanging in the houses, all that stuff. So for me, I really didn't know anybody mm -hmm. who hunted i've since learned that some of them did hunt but i honestly never knew yeah. that but i did have a good understanding of animal husbandry and so um uh having spent time on the farms helping out so um you know i think that um you know f interestingly enough when i made this decision to start hunting in my mid-40s i was a thought i'd been having for about a decade and um, I had, when I was living in the city, I was building my career, I started to buy my meat uh, from local markets where I could mm -hmm. talk to producers. Um, uh, I knew they were smaller operations. Sometimes you could even go out and check it out or whatever. And, um, and, I'm, and for, from about my mid-30s to my mid-40s, I would occasionally have this thought, maybe I should just hunt to source my mm -hmm. meat. And I would just push the thought away because it overwhelmed me. I didn't know how to start. And so when I finally made that decision, uh, you know, I was an executive living and working in Calgary, a large city in, in Alberta. And um, I, it, was a re it was a thought that kept coming up more and more and more. And I thought, you know, you make difficult decisions every day. You're, you're capable of figuring this out. Just, fig <laughs> just take the first step. And so, you know, for me, 
um, figuring out how to become a legally licensed gun holder in Canada, which is very different than yeah, in the United absolutely. States, was my first thing. And I did that. Mm -hmm. um, and then I decided to research uh, local organizations that support hunting, and I joined those. And I started going to trade shows and things like that. Um, I bought tickets to wild game banquets. I started volunteering for organizations. And one of them that I joined was the Wild Sheep Foundation's chapter in Alberta. Um, and what I found in my experience was that I had plenty of confidence. I'm a pretty tenacious woman, and I don't have a problem walking into a room of 300 strangers and uh, walking around and introducing myself. I know that for some people that's not the case. Yeah. It wasn't my barrier. What I found really interesting was that people were very welcoming, um, uh, really interested to hear that I was a, a solo adult onset female hunter. Um, but by the same token, some of my barriers were um, attached to a little bit of skepticism that some people had around that. Mm -hmm. What were my motivations for being there? Um, you know, and some of the some of the um, pressure I was getting on, you know, was was strange. It, uh, I mean, much strange. That's not the right word. It should have been expected. You know, like where's your husband? What yeah. do you mean you're here by yourself? Oh, you must be husband hunting. <laughs> that was mm -hmm. one I got a lot, you know. Um, and um, and understandably, some women were very welcoming to me and some were not so welcoming. And, um, you know, so there was just sometimes, um, uh, uh, probably my biggest problem was being taken seriously. People really didn't know what to do with a woman who just showed up saying, I want to learn how to hunt and I'm here to figure that out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how'd that make you feel? I mean, coming into those situations, because... I mean, it's, I mean, it's, it's gotta be annoying at some, some point, but, um, you know, I mean, I had kind of had like when I, when I started this podcast, yeah. I had a lot of people tell me, it's like, everybody's got a podcast now, you know, and that was about two and a half, three years ago, you know, we're sitting here today, we've got people from all over the place right. coming, you know, I mean, if you don't stick with your plan, right. like you had a plan you bet, and, and you followed through and executed with it and look where you're at today. Yeah. So. Yeah, you know, how it made me feel, generally speaking, I don't let that sort of stuff bother me too, mm -hmm. too much. There were, in that first 12 months, there were two particular instances, I'd rather not get into the details, yeah, yeah. but there were two particular instances where I almost threw in the hat. Mm -hmm. And um, and I then, you know, I basically just reminded myself what it was I was trying to accomplish for myself, right. and I just persevered, and I, I pushed through it. And... Um, you know, so, so I would say those two instances were upsetting for me, but otherwise I just, I just let it slide off my back. Yeah. Right. And, um, but I, I don't want anybody to get the wrong impression. This is, this, these were, this was the, these are, were the exceptions, not mm -hmm. the rule. Most people were extremely welcoming, very, you know, very, very welcome, you know, very interested to hear my journey yeah. and really great about things. Yeah. yeah, I think I tell people, you know, being kind of in, in more so in the fishing industry the last, you know, 10, 15 years um, through all the stuff I've got going on. But, you know, it's like a big family. Yes. The fishing and the hunting industry. You it's bet. the same on both sides. And, um, you know, it's everybody generally wants to help each other out. Yeah. You know, and you do not see that in most industries. Most industries pretty cutthroat. Cutthroat. Especially in the business world. Yeah. And um, I think that's why... All the people that I know that work in the industry love it so much. Yeah. And yeah. I know, like, uh, uh, I would say, like, uh, setting aside kind of some of the skepticism I would occasionally experience, the most difficult thing for me was finding a, a hunting mentor who would take mm -hmm. me into the field. So, you know, I was able to figure out how to become a licensed firearms owner. I, t I, I paid 
money to go to a course at a great ranch here in Texas, the FTW ranch for four days to learn how to be really good with my rifle and my optics, right? I made that investment. I took my hunter safety education training through the province of Alberta, piece of cake. You know, I just went, I went, I was able to do all these steps, but finding that mentor to take me into the field was singular, my singular biggest challenge. And I think that's the case for most. It can be tough, like even for guys who want to get into hunting, if you don't know people, it can be tough to find somebody who's willing to take you on um take you to their secret hiding spots you know i mean um Mm -hmm. you know people work years to establish relationships with landowners to get access or they find a honey hole where you can find bighorn rams in alberta or whatever it is Mm -hmm. and you know there's some reluctance to um um, understandable reluctance to revealing that or potentially compromising a relationship you've built with a landowner, mm-hmm. right? So, um, and then sometimes truthfully, th- um, you know, and I really do understand this, uh, the wives of these men weren't comfortable with their husbands or boyfriends taking a woman on a hunt. And I get that. I yeah. really do. So the mentorship piece for me was the singular greatest challenge. Okay. Yeah, I know at last year's summit, a big topic of uh, several podcasts was mentorship. Right. And and I don't think a lot of people don't understand how important that is. Um, you know, when I grew up up in Oklahoma, um, you know, my family didn't do a lot of hunting. Um, I was never involved, never around it um, until into high school and then going into college. Right. You know, and then I met so many other new people. And I was going to school for fishery, so I was around people that loved the outdoors. And um, and then it kind of started taking off there. I think the biggest um, part for me was I was fishing so much, I didn't want to spend the money on starting something else I knew I was going to get <laughs> addicted to. So I kind of held off, but we're in Texas. And once I moved to Texas, that kind of went out the window. Right. So we're so blessed here and, and stuff. But, um, you know, I think... Um, kind of the same as you probably agree with is my biggest thing is taking somebody that's never been before yeah and i I try to introduce them to turkey hunting that's my favorite thing but i think it's a good introductory hunting sport um to target and um because there's so much interaction and stuff like that so it was killing me this morning out here listening to these turkeys (laughs) gobbling on the roost while we're out here fishing so um but um but so with the women hunt program, yeah. um, how is that ran? Like, what is the philosophy behind that? And how are you implementing y'all's plan to get women out? Yeah, you bet. So, um, uh, you know, our, our goal is to help more women uh, on their journeys into the fields and the mountains, period. And so, um, you know, we, it took us a couple of years to kind of figure out what it is we wanted to accomplish. We, um, we, um, uh, the Wild Sheep Foundation has the annual uh, sheep show in Reno, Nevada every January. It's a massive trade show. It's awesome. And um, so for a couple of years, my committee and I hosted a uh, a seminar at the sheep show and they were, they were really well attended and a really great mix of men and women. It was fantastic. Mm -hmm. And we, um, we got input from our membership about what they were looking for and that really helped us decide what we were going to do with this program and where we were going to take it. So in 2021, in the height of the pandemic, um, we worked on launching officially the Women Hunt Program uh, with uh, by partnering with the FTW Ranch here in Texas. They delivered, they had designed and, and, and implemented a course during the pandemic called the uh, New Hunter Course. Essentially, they take a person, um, any person, 
you don't even ever have touched a rifle in your life. Um, uh, And they will take you in the course of four days. They'll get you comfortable with your firearm, understanding ammunition, its function, your optics, your ballistic turret scope. Mm -hmm. And they will get you shooting accurately and comfortably to 300 yards, a nice, safe uh, uh, hunting distance for Mm -hmm. shooting. And they also, uh, in the course, you know, take you through uh, game identification, shot placement, field trailing. You get out and get an opportunity to hunt uh, doe on the property. Helps with their management practices. Okay. They, yeah, they bring in guys to teach you how to field dress, butcher. They bring in a chef from San Antonio who specials in, specializes in wild game preparation. Mm-hmm. Teaches you, you know, preparing wild, yeah. wild game is not like other yeah, meat, right? Exactly. So um, it's an incredible course. And so what we did was... Um, we partnered with them and we tailored it for the Women Hunt program um, um, and uh, and then uh, d- offered it for 12 women. And so when I say tailor it, I mean we didn't change the principles of the course, but we implemented a few things that are important to the Wild Sheep Foundation mm-hmm. That um, and specifically it's around the wildlife conservation because the model in Texas um, is very different from the majority of the rest of the United States and Canada. And so uh, what we wanted to do was ensure that there was a conversation piece around the North American uh, wildlife model of conservation. And the Texas model is part of that model, mm-hmm. of the North American model. A lot of people don't realize that, yeah. but it is. And so um, that's what we tailored it to uh, incorporate some instruction on the North American model. The reason for that is that, it, for me, it was critically important that these women were able to not just learn how to hunt, um, but also that they could come out and be able to articulate why hunting for is such an important part of wildlife conservation. Okay. I think that it's critical for all hunters to be able to have a basic understanding. People struggle to understand. It, you know, they cannot correlate hunting with wildlife conservation. For a lot of people, yeah. there's a dichotomy there, right? So the more hunters who can articulate the model or aspects of the model and can speak somewhat uh, intelligently about the mm-hmm. function that hunting plays in relation to wildlife conservation, the better. So that we tailored it to incorporate that. And um, in any case, uh, we launched with the new hunter course. So that's one aspect of the Women Hunt program. Okay. And, um, you know, we, um, we uh, the committee, when I say we, I'm referring to my committee, we designed an application process. We had seven questions for these women to answer, and they were good, meaty questions. And we uh, worked with Dr. Ryan Brock, who's the Wild Sheep Foundation's um, youth educator. He designed a scoring rubric for us. It was really important that we would assess these responses um, consistently amongst the applicants. We received last year 47 applications from across Canada and the United States. We chose 12 women, two from Canada, 10 from the U.S. They were you know, we did a blind assessment. We blacked out names, ages, uh, those types of demographics. Mm-hmm. So we didn't know who we were looking at. Yeah. And, um, and and we we chose 12 remarkable women, all very different um, in demographics, ages, geographic locations. And um, and we kicked off with that new hunter course. And, um, um, you know, we, we, um, we incorporated kind of three prongs. So there's the course. And then the second phase is when they come out of the course, we we match them up with the uh, 
um, closest Wild Sheep Foundation okay. chapter affiliate right. to where they live. And um, that chapter or affiliate uh, provides a mentor for them so that they have somebody that, awesome. yeah, right. Right when they get out of the course, they're not kind of <laughs> left out hanging, yeah. you know. And uh, we link them up with a mentor and then that chapter or affiliate, you know, helps them, gets them out to events or engages them in conservation mm -hmm. work, or, you know, and gets them out to meet people, keeps them engaged. And then the third prong, which is for me, honestly, I think, the most important, and I think you'll appreciate this. I know you're the drivers behind what you do in your yeah. podcast, but is giving back. Absolutely. And so that's the phase we're in right now with these women. And so that was actually part of the application process. It was right in there that they were expected to uh, give back within their backyards, their, their mm -hmm. local communities in some capacity. Now, these women are all different. They have different strengths, communication styles, comfort levels. They're all going to do different things. But they're already boots on the ground in their states or provinces doing something to impact more women and others uh, and get build interest and engagement in getting them into hunting wildlife conservation. It's just remarkable. That is very remarkable. Yeah. And, and I think uh, a very strong um, the logic behind the process right. of getting them involved and then keeping them engaged. Yeah. Um, you know, it's very similar to what we do with the brigades program with, yeah. our, with our youth down here. I mean, you're basically making... You know, conservation ambassadors all across the country. Right. You know, and and um, what better way to grow the sport and you know awareness about Wild Sheep Foundation, but just conservation in general. Yeah, you bet. So um, that's really cool. Had any of the twelve women, and it's and it's been neat because I've been following that program for a while. After Chester, our friend Chester Moore told me about it, and so I was kind of. Um, following on Instagram stuff. Y'all awesome. do a great job of promoting like each of the women individually. And I think now you're like doing biography kind of like they're having their part on there individually yeah. and stuff. But, um, so go follow that if you haven't yet. Okay. Um, but, um, um, I forgot where I was going with that, but, um, where were any of them hunting at all before or were they all brand new right. like cold turkey yeah. jumping in? <laughs> it was a little bit of a mix. So one of the one of the things we did look at when we were looking at applications was a person's experience level. And mm -hmm. it wasn't to exclude anybody who had some experience. It was just, it was one of the uh, scoring uh, components. Mm -hmm. And so uh, some of the women had zero experience. And I mean zero all across the board, had never even picked up a, right, uh, a firearm in their life. Okay. Um, others had some firearms experience and no hunting experience. And then there were a couple who had, um, you know, have gone out to observe hunts, had never actually hunted. Mm -hmm. And then we had one woman in particular who was a bird hunter, um, but never, never used a rifle and never had hunted anything beyond birds. Um, so very different, of yeah. course, right? Um, so, I mean, we assessed many, many different factors. The experience level was just one of them, and it played out in the scoring rubric and balancing on scoring, right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it was a mixed bag, and it was, um, but it was interesting to see that even those who had had a little bit of experience, or like the one participant who was a bird hunter, the for for her, the rifle experience was completely different, and and hunting, you know, an ungulate was a real stretch for her to make that leap from from yeah. birds to to mammal, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I think um, we're talking about we were talking about this last night, you know, about people's perceptions in the general public and how they they can't understand why 
people hunt right. and then we were we, the to- topic of africa came up again right. last night yeah and uh we were talking about how like people just don't understand that conservation you know hunting is conservation right i mean it's a, one of the biggest keys and, and you know and and uh how do we do that better how i mean we keep doing what we're doing but have y'all been um working on any i guess new ideas and how to tackle this because with social media it's it seems like you, you see more and more of that people anti-hunting type, sure. type things and, and yeah. they just don't know the facts you know that's it's such a great complex question and i love this topic and it's so important you know and uh, you know i i um i think back to um that that back to 2017 when i decided to do this and i went to my first wild game banquet at the sarcy fish and game association based out of southern alberta and it you know it's a really well attended banquet about 600 folks or so and uh again i was going in blind didn't know anybody and i asked could you guys just i know it's not a signed seating but could you just do me a solid and put me at a table with a good group of people because i'm Mm. coming in by myself and they said no problem i ended up i personally think i was at the best table there it was a round of 10 i was the only woman every man at that table was between the ages of 60 and 80 you can appreciate the hunting experience between nine men who've been hunting for that long Mm -hmm. i had a great evening hearing their stories they were so open to questions and one of the questions i asked them to your point about africa and people struggling to understand the correlation between hunting and wildlife conservation i asked them this i said I'm really struggling. I I acknowledged it. I'm really struggling understanding hunting in Africa. I don't know how I feel about it. You know, I recognize that I felt a little bit uncomfortable with the concept of hunting megafauna, right? Right. And I said, can you, can you all help me here? And they said, sure. And they, you know, and they, they just broke it down for me in terms that I was able to understand because I was able to correlate it to North America. You know, they made sure I understood that the countries in Africa have uh, wildlife professionals, scientifically educated people, just like we have here, who understand how to manage wildlife populations. That, uh, you know, while elephants might be threatened in one country in Africa, they are overpopulated in another country, and that's why they're hunted in some areas and not others. Mm-hmm. You know, things that seem really obvious to those of us that are entrenched in this industry, Absolutely. but as really a foreign idea to anybody else. And then one of the guys said something to me that really stuck with me. And this is a message I love to share when I'm having conversations with, I'm not going to say anti-hunters because I found in my experience they're not really open to the conversation. I'm going to say rather when I'm having this conversation with people who are kind of on the fence. Okay. So they're open to even having the dialogue. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. What he said to me was this, at the end of the day, Renee, if you believe that, you know, if you want to hunt, and you, are, and you believe that hunting serves a good purpose for yourself personally and for wildlife conservation, and you can't cherry pick what's okay to hunt and what's not. Yep. As long as it's legal and ethically done, mm-hmm. it, you, you can't say it's okay to hunt an elk, but it's not okay to hunt a lion. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that hearing that just 
said it was stated so plainly like that. I mean, it was pretty direct thing to say, but it was very, very impactful. And that's a message I usually like to use in my conversations. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think I mentioned to you and Gray last night, you know, I got to interview um, an outfitter from, from South Africa this, this February. And, um, you know, we were talking about that. It's like, what happens if, if you stopped hunting? He's like the poachers right. over there. The poachers come in, just kill everything. Yeah. And then you have nothing. Yeah. You know, we're conserving and, and providing for the future. And, and over there, it's a little bit different because that, that is. game is goes back to the villages and that and that provides so many jobs. Right. And people just, I and mean, every it, aspect it's, of it's those the animals. Lion King. Yes. When, they, when you go to Africa, that's sure. what, I mean. Sure, But you know, you know, and it, but it transcends beyond Africa. So, and, and here's the other thing too, is that sometimes within even our community, there can be div- div- divisions, right? Um, so, um, part of the conversation about understanding the role hunting plays in conversation and conservation includes within ourselves. So my point is this, hunting um, megafauna in North America controversial with some people get upset when you hunt bear mm-hmm. mountain lion um uh wolves right and um uh that's not restricted those feelings aren't restricted to non-hunters it's within the hunting community mm-hmm. too some people really get stuck on it right yep. and um so h- it's important that we also continue to have those cons- conservation conversations amongst ourselves and you know th- too often people you know they correlate i don't know bears to winnie the pooh uh, wolves to their dog at home, mm-hmm. uh, mountain lions to their cat at home. And of course, we all know that's not the case at all. These are wild animals. They're not yeah. domestic, uh, you know, and we can talk about the Disney effect all day long, right? Yeah. Um, about um, how uh, the last century we've seen animals talking and having emotions and animated films and somehow our brains kind of switch over, right? Yeah. yeah. I'm, uh, I often wonder what the teachers at my daughter's school think when she comes in because you know I've been I wanted to get them involved in in the outdoors and and um, not push them at all but they love they both love to go fishing right and my daughter's really jumped on the going to the deer lease with me and and the hunting experience and she just she always wants to go and um, my son is that way too but he just can't sit still so (laughs) we go and have fun in the deer blind or walking around the woods right now but she is just um, eating up with it and um, you know we had a really unique opportunity with um, that Chester got us on a wild turkey release in East Texas this year. Awesome. And so took her out of school, took both the kids, went up there, got to do this. And sh- I said, um, they brought back some feathers that were left in the boxes after the birds were released and stuff. And, and, uh, she's like, I want to take one to school. And I was like, okay. And then, uh, she goes back and I said, well, did anybody ask you where you were yesterday? And she says, I had to give a presentation on what I was after I told my teacher where we went. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> like she's eight years old, right? Right. <laughs> and I was like, how freaking cool is that? Yeah. It's like, I hope that some of these other kids, you know, see that you're passionate about this sure. and ask their parents. Right. Like, how they got to go do this? Yeah. Like, how do we do that? And you know, like, and so here's like an, yet another segue into the education piece, right? So, um, 
Last year in 2021, the Wyoming chapter of Wild Sheep Foundation was having their banquet, and they had some seminars on the Saturday, and they invited me to come and talk on the Women Hunt program. There were about 80 guys in the room and about six women, and they everybody was super engaged. And after the seminar wrapped, you know, some people came up to talk to me, and a gentleman came up, and he, there was one right after the seminar, and there were two more that evening, and then another one the next morning. So four different guys came up to me and um, said, um, you know, I think what you guys are doing is great. And when you kind of get your feet under you and get a little bit of momentum mm -hmm. going, would you consider um, broadening your program to help teach men how to teach women? And like this first man who came to me, you know, he had tears in his eyes. He was emotional about it. He said, I really screwed things up with my wife and my daughter because I, I, the hunt, I had to, I, w I was intractable in how I wanted to teach them. I wanted them to, you know, everything had to be my way. And he said, I did not understand really the importance uh, of, of finding a way to communicate with them that worked for them. And women do learn differently than men. We know this, right? Mm -hmm. And so I found it remarkable that these men approached me and said, when you're ready, can your program help teach us how to teach women better? I mean, to... I never even thought about right? from that vantage point. Right. It's a big barrier for yeah. women, though, sometimes, and how we're being taught things, right? Mm -hmm. So um, I love that idea, and we will get there. So That is amazing. Yeah. Um, and I can't... I mean, I see this program just blowing up and doing some amazing things in the future. So... What um what are y'all's plans for this year? Y'all doing the 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 women the hunting thing down here again? Yeah, at the ranch. We or? are, we are. We're gonna we have a few different things going on this year. We um so we are gonna deliver the new hunter course again for another twelve women. So that application process is gonna launch in May, and we're okay. gonna select a wom the women and uh, and advise them in June. That'll give them about four months of lead time to make arrangements to mm -hmm. to take the time off, um, whether it's childcare or work or whatever, and get down to, to get down to Texas. It'll be in October again and um so we're um i invite your listeners who have even a sliver of interest even if you're feeling nervous about it uncertain or maybe you're a guy listening and you know of a woman who might be interested in this um please check us out on uh, on our website which is on the wildsheepfoundation.org slash women hunt that's our website mm -hmm. we're also on youtube uh, Instagram and um, Facebook and um, we'll be launching that like I said in May so uh, the applicants you know we'll have an application process to follow um, all the details will be available when we launch and then we'll we'll uh, assess those applicants we're expecting exponentially more this year than we yeah, got I last year and um, and then we'll we'll make <coughs> our announcements but we're going to do the new hunter course again we want to get 12 more women um, to be to be those active ambassadors for us like the first mm -hmm. 12 out in the community spreading the word making uh, positive impacts towards other women but otherwise we're also going to be working our website right now is pretty basic um, but we are going to be expanding it exponentially with resources uh, mm -hmm. including a conservation corner where some people who might not be quite ready to hunt or maybe have no interest in hunting but uh, are are not anti-hunting and, and see the correlation and want to get involved in conservation, we'll have some resources there for how they can get involved in different projects. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we're going to have an ask an expert corner um, where if a woman's struggling finding the answer through all the available resources out there, you know, uh, we can funnel their question or maybe it's a more sensitive one, a topic that a little mm -hmm. bit more privacy is required. We can funnel it to uh, an expert female in that field, whether it's elk hunting, turkey hunting, whatever the yeah. issue might be. Um, and there'll be other 
other things on that website. So that's going to be a big push for us this year is getting that website development done and populated. And then also, you know, I'm looking to develop um, relationships. Um, you know, the program, the New Hunter course is like our flagship course. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, it's super comprehensive. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, that requires a lot of effort uh, across the board. And, um, and so, you know, we want to be able to broaden our reach and impact more. So, for example, um, you know, we may we want to start delivering smaller op uh, learning opportunities that are more specific that maybe are a day or two days mm -hmm. instead of like five day commitment um, in all over the country and attract more women. So really looking to build partnerships with people who are already out there delivering great things and just kind of bringing bringing everybody together. Um, so partnership development is going to be a really big one this year as well and getting uh, some more course offerings for for different. Uh, things out there yeah mm -hmm. are y'all looking at in in doing like in the chapters and like the the regional chapters so i know like we have texas bighorn here yeah stuff like doing a, a women hunt like sub chapter kind of in between so there's a local yeah thing or? so you know the structure of the wild sheep foundation is a little bit different than what you might be familiar with with rocky mountain elk foundation or ducks unlimited or safari club international mm -hmm. it's just a little bit different the chapters and affiliates are actually autonomous so the wild sheep foundation does not run the chapters and affiliates they are completely okay. autonomous and so um uh, that would be entirely up to the chapter or affiliate. So if Texas Bighorn Society decided that they wanted to develop a women-specific mm -hmm. program or initiative within their their affiliate, that would be entirely up to them. When We, we certainly are available to uh, support them right. or help them or guide them. But uh, no, uh, you know, we, we don't have the um, uh, ability to... Yeah. The capability to yeah. do that. Or, or not even so capability. It's just, it's their business, not, yeah, yeah, not the Wild right. Sheep Foundations. Yeah. So, um, but I think, I guess having the, um, these ladies who are the, your ambassadors yes. now yeah. spread out, because I assume they're all from kind of, like last year, you you had one from Texas yeah. and, and I know they're from New kind of Mexico, all over the country. Colorado, Idaho. Yeah. Why? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, they're probably, you know talking amongst their friends and, and like oh, said, sure. spreading that message sure. and, and, and doing all that. Yeah. So, um, like tomorrow in Idaho, sorry, tomorrow yeah. in Idaho, uh, our, our participant from Idaho, Stacy, she, um, she actually works for, uh, fish and wildlife in Idaho and, and, uh, she does like, um, bi biology work and, mm -hmm. uh, uh, captures and transfers and stuff. Uh, re really cool stuff. In that any is case, cool isn't that cool? But she had never <laughs> hunted. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. So in any case, um, uh, the Idaho, uh, chapter of the wild sheep foundation is having their banquet tomorrow. And, um, they invited her to have a booth during the day in their small exhibit hall and so you know we provided her with a pull-up banner for women hunt and some uh, mm -hmm. material and stuff and then she's also you know going to be doing something with the idaho wild sheep foundation to your question whatever it is that their chapter wants to do uh, they've asked stacy as the ambassador of, uh, right. of our program to um help them get something going to engage more women yeah. uh, i guess that's kind of what i was getting at yeah. a while ago um you know, because, I mean, I'm, I do a lot with NWTF and, and yeah. stuff, and they have a kind of a women's initiative and, yes. and the Jake's program and things like that for right. youth and stuff. But um, that's all great things. One of the things I was going to ask you was, what are, you know, if if somebody just isn't into the hunting, when we, you brought this up, but what are some of the other things that, just examples that you could give that people um, could help with? 
with conservation and things like that. I yeah. mean, I assume like habitat enhancement and you things bet. like that. Yeah, there's lots of great opportunities. You know, uh, the Wild Sheep Foundation, uh, is it's certainly not restricted to them. We know there's so much great work going on, but, you know, there's a million different programs out there where habitat um, um, work is a really big important one. You know, here in Texas, Texas Bighorn Society does a ton of guzzler work to get water available in, you know, uh, um, to wild sheep and other species. Mm -hmm. um, trap and transplants are a big one. So, you know, um, I'm not the expert here. M my understanding is pretty basic. But, you yeah. know, in order to introduce healthy populations of bighorn sheep into regions where they once existed and have been decimated, which, by the way, primarily through disease transfer from domestic sheep to wild sheep, although there are some other influences. Disease mm -hmm. transfer is a really big one. But, um, you know, they've got to go uh, tr trap healthy um, uh, rams and ewes uh, from uh, populations where they don't have any disease, you know, that takes an incredible effort and then tra transplant them into and reintroduce them into another area. Right. You know, there's really cool work to be done with that where you can go yeah. on, on uh, projects like that. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it's, uh, uh, it's really remarkable everything that's out there. You know, yeah. you just have to reach out to these organizations. It's, it's been really cool, especially like on the fishing side of things, like down where I'm at in the Galveston Bay area, upper Texas coast, you know, there's so much habitat loss we've suffered. Right due to the hurricanes and and flooding events and all this stuff yeah. and we're we're keyed in so hard right now on oysters um that's a huge topic right now and you know it's been an ongoing issue i would say for us in our area specifically since 2008 when we had hurricane ike come through um and we had about an 80 percent loss of our oyster reefs in galveston oh, they were basically covered up with sediment you know and so um, there was a lot of things through Tech Sparks My Life and, and other private entities and stuff like how do we fix this problem? Um, and so building new reefs was the 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 main idea, trying to recuperate some of the lost reef and stuff um, and, and things like that. But, you know, there was all these things that came out of these bigger pictures because these are like multi-million dollar projects that yeah. most people just cannot go out and partake in. Yeah. Um, but like for the Galveston Bay Foundations, one group down there, they started um, a thing where you could grow a bag off your dock if you're on the water and grow oysters in it. Huh. And then they would collectively have so many people doing this and they would collect them and then go and build a reef out of all those bags that everybody collectively Holy. helped, you know, get yeah and and so now there's all these little seed reefs that they've been planting and not just that group but there's several groups doing that now and there's a lot of like wetland habitat restoration yeah. which is kind of like my wife's kind of field of of work um doing grass planting and things like right. that that you can take your whole family out and partake in yeah and um and and i know with with wildlife it's 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 the same there's a lot of a lot of different things you can do you and bet. and one thing I always tell everybody um, is just to get out and volunteer. That's right. It's one of the biggest things. And, you know, it, may, it was a game changer for me in my first year. I, I started volunteering for all these organizations, and I just was giving back, you know, showing yeah. up, working banquets, doing whatever they wanted me to do. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and it really was kind of at that tipping point was past the 12-month mark somewhere between 12 and 18, where all of a sudden it was like, okay, you're kind of the real deal. You, you show up consistently. You're not asking for a thing other than some mentorship. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and you're volunteering. So volunteering is critically important. It's, it, it demonstrates to people that you're serious. It's mm -hmm. also extremely helpful in a really taxed environment financially. The funding for wildlife conservation is tight, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, and uh, I just wanted to mention something. You mentioned NWTF, a uh, fantastic organization. Um, you know, I mean, 
they they've been able to bring back turkey populations. Yep. It's incredible what the NWTF has, uh, TF has done. And um, I had mentioned earlier how we. Um, incorporated instruction on the North American model of wildlife conservation at FTW mm -hmm. for the new undercourse. It was actually, I partnered with uh, Becky Humphreys, okay. the CEO yeah. of NW2F, um, because she delivers a version of the model uh, where she talks about the role that women at the time played. At the same time that Teddy Roosevelt and all the men of importance who were really critical in, in developing how we manage wildlife in the United States and, and Canada, at the same time, there were some really influential women who were mm -hmm. right there alongside them that we don't often hear about. And Becky incorporates that into her delivery and talks about the role that women played as well as men mm -hmm. in, in the importance of that development. So what we did is um, we asked her to um, uh, uh, tape her delivery of the model. I then filmed an intro and we played that video to the women at, mm -hmm. at the during the new hunter course and it's now available on our YouTube channel. That's awesome. Yeah. So I'll anybody link that in the show notes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Please do. Yeah, I yeah. will. I yeah. will. I'm gonna watch it. Yeah. So yeah, she delivers a great message. She and, does. Um, yeah. Um, but um well well that is that is some great info for everybody to hear and and um super excited that uh, we got to talk about that today. Yeah. But I do wanna kinda switch just a little bit sure. and kind of kind of talk about um, some of your favorite hunting memories you've had and experiences in your career so far. Okay. Kind of see, you know, kind of what your, um, what it's been like for you. Okay. Um, well, I'm, I'm pretty still new to this, right? Yeah. I started in 2017 and, and, um, but I, I jumped right in and I was able to get a great first hunting mentor in the field. And so, um, again, how I mentioned to you that I never heard anybody talk about hunting growing up, right? Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> I grew up in this small little rural town in, in Alberta <coughs> and, uh, I was, um, I, so here I am uh, new on my journey and, um, <clears throat> and I was talking to one of my cousins, one of my best friends, his name is Guy. And, um, I was, you know, he wanted to hear how things were going. And, and I told him, I said, you know, my biggest problem right now is just finding somebody to take me out and, or even help me understand what type of gun should I buy or, right. you know, whatever, you know? And, and he said, Hey, do you remember Don so-and-so that I won't say his last name, but he's like, do you remember him from, from, from Beaumont, our hometown? And I said, of course. And he, I said, you know, I, I think the last time Don and I saw each other was like when we were 23 at some bush party, right? You know, I said, we just, we just kind of went separate ways, yeah. right? And, and he said, well, I play Sunday night men's hockey with him. And he said, he's a huge hunter. And I said, he is? I had no idea. Like I said, mm -hmm. just never got talked about. So he said, uh, let me talk to him. See, see if he might meet you for a coffee and, and get you started. I said, that'd be awesome. So long story short, I sit down with Don. He'd mentored his uh, wife and his kids. His kids were just getting out of high school and going into university. And um, he was super helpful in that first conversation. He said, why don't you come out to the house, meet my wife. And he said, um, I'd like to help you out. And um, so I really appreciated that. You know, he, mm -hmm. he, he um, honored his wife. He made sure that I got to meet her and she got to meet me. Mm -hmm. uh, she was super chill. Um, you know, she was perfectly comfortable with this situation. Yeah. And um, I thought my first hunt with Dawn was going to be whitetail in the fall in Alberta, right? It's kind of where people start if you want to go for a big game. Exactly. And um, uh, so that spring, it was uh, April, 
he called me up and he's like, so, and I had already, um, you know, spent a little bit of time with him, you know, going to Cabela's and stuff and looking Mm -hmm. at stuff and trying to learn things. And he said, so you ready to start, you know, go for your first hunt? And I was like, well, sure. Like, what are we planning? Like whitetail November? And he said, no, no. He said, uh, um, I actually have bear camp in northern Alberta where I've been hunting over 20 years. And he said, I want to take you spring bear hunting. I mean, you could have dropped a pin and heard it, right? I, w- I mean, I, my mouth fell open. I was like, what are you talking about bear, bear hunting for my first hunt ever, <laughs> right? <laughs> it, w- it was not computing at first, but I said, sounds great. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Jump on this. Yeah, and so, um, you know, um, uh, Don, um, you know, Don likes to spot and stalk for his bear hunts. Okay. Uh, he does not hunt over bait. He doesn't use dogs. Um, you can't in Alberta uh, use dogs anyway. But um, um, in any case, he does a spot and stalk method. And um, and this is to this day, and I think it may be my favorite hunt for my entire lifetime, you know, because oh. um, we went out uh, the first weekend in May that we went out, we spotted 17 bears, we stalked on eight, we passed on all of them, they they were all legal, but not, you know, he, he really took the time to, in that three days, to talk to me about the importance of taking out old boars um, and how it helps to regenerate the genetics and breeding um, how you know most people don't know this but boars you know will take out younger boars um, and when I say take out I mean kill mm-hmm. um, you know and so take you know harvesting an older boar is actually really beneficial to the genetics of, of and, and breeding uh, um, uh, success rates in bear populations okay. so in any ways you know, so we passed on all of them um, but we got in, in observing 17 bears and stalking in on eight of them I got I, the most incredible three days of observing bear behavior and they are fascinating delightful animals to watch and I think that's part of the reason why it was so memorable mm. um, we went back a few weekends later and um and that's when i was successful in my first um hunt and um the boar that we stalked in on uh that i harvested um was beautiful and you know it was a spring bear and um and it was just the most um incredible moment to i mean my i mean it was i was stalking in on on a predator and that was you know my heart was pounding yeah i can't imagine you know <laughs> it was just pounding so but you know he was great he was just a fantastic mentor and because you know boar it's not like when you hunt bear it's not it's not like it's a fast-moving white-tailed deer we had a little bit more time um than you might when you've got a white tail bouncing around right mm-hmm. so um he was able to uh, really coached me in that moment and in a in a really great way. I can't say enough about what an exceptional mentor he was, mm. but that one's a real sticker for me. I mean, I that one um, will stay with me forever. That's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and I think you sent me the picture, so maybe we'll put that on the sure on the deal. Yeah. So that's a that's cool. I've never bear hunted. I know um, being from Oklahoma, um, I didn't even know we had bears in Oklahoma okay. growing up, yeah. and it was a very limited population, I think, oh, in the I southeastern see. part of the state. Okay, but here in the last ten to fifteen years, that population is, and now they have a bear season, and they're doing so well. Um, Good. And we've got elk coming in in huge numbers now, um, all over. Um, you know, and it's it's really cool because I love bragging on Oklahoma. That's where I was born and raised, and I, I love that state, you know, and it's so diverse. And it's cool to see how successful that state has been 
and providing new opportunities yeah. for these animals and, and the conservation they've done on, on habitat and then just getting the numbers and populations up. So, for sure. Um, which I think is kind of across the board for most of the states now. I mean, there's so much work going in, um, but that's cool. That experience, that bear, that that's pretty cool. So, yeah. so, um, do you and Gray do a lot? I know I know he enjoys fly fishing. Have you yeah. dabbled in that quite a bit? Or? Yeah. At the same time that I uh, decided to learn to hunt, I also decided I wanted to learn how to fly fish. And uh, so I took a course in Calgary, uh, one-day course, like half day in the classroom, mm -hmm. half day on the grass learning to cast. And then I started going out on the Bow River, which has great trout fishing in Alberta. And, uh, you know, I mean, I struggled. I was brand new. Yeah. So... Actually, this is what brought me to Montana the first time was uh, Calgary to uh, the northwestern corner of Montana where Libby is and the Kootenai River. It's only mm -hmm. like a four and a half hour drive. And so um, I could have easily booked with a, a guide in Calgary on the bow, but I thought, well, I'm going to make a holiday of it and I'm going to go to Montana. So I booked with a great organized uh, group there, uh, the, uh, Dave Blackburn, the Kootenai Anglers, and uh, he and his wife run a great little outfit and you know, I had a cabin that I was able to stay in and it you know, they have a restaurant right on the river and the fly shop. And mm -hmm. Dave was fantastic. He, um, he knew I was brand new. I booked a three-day float with him, and um, and he taught me so much. He was super patient with me. And so I fished with him almost every year since. Um, mm -hmm. But, yeah, um, you know, and then I ended up meeting Gray, and, um, uh, um, you know, and then I, I fished with him quite a bit now. So I went from, like, really new in 2017 to, you know, last year when I fished with Dave, he said, okay, now you're, like, upper <laughs> mid-range, Renee. That's where he <laughs> classified me, upper mid-range. <laughs> What a compliment. There you go. <laughs> no. Hey, I was happy with yeah. that. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So I love fly fishing. I was telling somebody else, you know, I love fly fishing. I just never have a whole lot of time to do it. Okay. Guiding and that kind of thing. So I'm going to pick up a fly rod tonight while Good. we're here. You so know, we're so lucky where we live in Montana. We're right off the Gallatin River <laughs> and we're very close to the Jefferson and the Madison. And those three come together at the confluence of the Missouri River. Mm. We have some of the best uh, fly fishing opportunities in the United States. Me and Chester yeah. might be sneaking up there this oh, summer. Oh, nice. All so right. I'm, I'm hoping that that happens. And if Great. not, we'll make sure it does at some point. Yeah, but, uh, for sure. Um, never been to Montana. So I'm really looking forward to getting up there at some it's point. It's a beautiful you know? state. So... Um, I've been to Wyoming and Idaho and, and Washington State and just love that part of the country. Yeah. So, but I, I want to go to Yellowstone. Like, uh, that's like for sure lifelong goal. Come so, on, yeah. But um, well, Renee, I uh, I can't thank you enough for being on here today, um, and uh, just taking the time for y'all to come down. I know that's a that's a big commitment. And I really appreciate y'all coming to the summit and uh, hope you enjoy your time here this weekend. Um, if you want, just once again, just kind of share where people can sure. can follow everything for the Women Hunt program. You bet. So um, on the web, uh, the website is wildsheepfoundation.org backslash women hunt. Okay. And um, the easiest, you know, the easiest way to get to our Instagram and Facebook would be if you go to that link, then you can click right up from there. But you can also find us on Instagram and Facebook, as I mentioned. We also have a YouTube channel. Awesome. Yeah. That is great. So thank you for doing all this amazing things and um, keep up the great work. Well, thank you. And thank you so much for hosting this event and for inviting me. It was great oh, to talk to you today. Absolutely. You yeah. too. Thank you so much. Thanks.
life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, I'm the old there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. On Mondays, head offshore with Captain Scott Walker and Steve Roger for breathtaking deep-sea adventures. Coming to me, coming to me, coming to me. Double. He's jumping, he's jumping, he's jumping. Oh! Oh! Look at that, Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Tell a few fish stories along the way. On Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.